0: Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferrett, and I welcome you to this new podcast series, especially at this time of the year, on the fall feasts of the Lord. And in lesson one, we learn they're not feasts, they're moedim. They're appointed times, like a date. Specific times on a specific day at a specific place and in Leviticus 23 as we saw that in session 1 God says in Leviticus 23 verses 1 through 2 that these belong to him so it is somewhat a mistake to say that these appointed times the way we call them feasts are just for the Jewish people this is God this is the God of the universe and these are his appointed times so I urge you to listen to the first podcast on the Fall Feast Rosh Hashanah it's entitled Yom Teruah and indeed this one is called Tzal Mashiach the Shadow of Messiah but please listen to number one so you can get all of that background that you need as we continue on here in part two part two of Rosh Hashanah Atsal Mashiach the shadow of Messiah so as we continue we want to understand how Yam Teruah would have been done in the second temple period and I use the word Yam Teruah the day of the blast which comes directly out of Leviticus 23 because as you, well, as you saw in session one, there is no words Rosh Hashanah. That is actually in Jewish literature called the Talmud, and we'll take a look at that in just a little bit. So in the second temple period, so we're talking about the time when the second temple was built after they returned from Babylon in exile, uh, all the way through Jesus' day. That's the second temple period. And this moed, this appointed time that we call Rosh Hashanah, is called Yam Terua, the Day of the Blast. So, one of the verses that we have in the Second Temple period that's important is Nehemiah, and we go to Nehemiah chapter eight, verses one through two, and it talks about all the people were all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the broad place that was before the water gate. And they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Torah, which the Lord had commanded Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation. In actuality, he didn't bring the law before the congregation. And actually says Torah, both men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Wait a minute. The first day of the seventh month that's Yom Teruah. Again, popularly known today as Rosh Hashanah. Now we go to verses 9 and 10 in Nehemiah chapter 8 and we read, And Nehemiah, who was the Tishchatha, and Ezra, the priest of the scribe and the Levites that taught the people, said unto the people, This day, the first day of the seventh month, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. So, it seems as a nehemiah's day yom teruah the first day of the seventh month was a day of celebration because we continue reading for all the people wept when they heard the words of the torah then he said unto them go your way eat the fruit drink the sweet and send portions unto him for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto the lord neither be ye grieved for the joy of the lord is your strength wow so indeed day of the blast remembering the day of the blast for them in nehemiah's day it was a day of celebration a day where you can say for the joy of the lord is our strength now we do not have any more biblical confirmation of how this moed this feast if you would was done in jesus's day So, like I said, it seems like it was a celebration, possibly even a New Year's celebration. Could actually be a carryover when the Hebrews entered the land after the Exodus and they forgot the Lord. We go to Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 10. The third generation completely turned away from God. And it seems as if, when you study it, that most of Israel was not practicing God's commands god's feasts for many hundreds of years they were there in a pagan land among the canaanites they started serving the baals the pagan gods the canaanite gods and for the pagans and it was not only the canaanites the seventh month was the new year it was considered the end of the harvest and the beginning of the new agricultural year Now, after 70 A.D., after the second temple is destroyed, the festival began to be called Rosh Hashanah after the writings of the Tananim, the teachers of Judaism, in that day. Now, the great Jewish philosopher Philo, in Jesus' day, he said the feast was Yam Teruah, not Rosh Hashanah. He never even used those words. He was writing in Jesus' day, and we have his writings. You can actually buy the writings of Philo in complete books. I have them in my library. He said it was the day of the great blast. And Philo, he said, it must mean to remember Sinai, the intense blast of the shofar that we read about in Exodus 19, at the time of the giving of the Ten Commandments, at the time when Israel entered into a deep covenant relationship with Adonai. So, Philo also says it must be related to the number seven in some way, but he does not go into how. Josephus, the Jewish historian writing prior to 70 AD, he never uses the words Rosh Hashanah. He talks about the day of the blast, the day of the Shofar blast, And he said the first of Tishri seems to be part of the new year for business, buying, and selling. It was the new fiscal year, if you would. But he doesn't talk about as a spiritual new year. So these are two primary, actually three. got the book of Nehemiah. we got the works of Philo, the great Jewish philosopher, writing in Jesus' day, and Josephus, the Jewish historian writing prior to 70 A.D., and probably more during Paul's day. So today, in in Jesus' day, there's nothing related to Rosh Hashanah like today. Now, after 70 A.D., things change. And all of a sudden, the word Rosh Hashanah, or the words Rosh Hashanah, is all of a sudden coming to be used. This is about the second or third generation after 70 A.D. And Rosh Hashanah, the rabbi, started suggesting rituals and practices. And many of those rituals and practices have come to our day today. Now, some of these traditions may have begun in Jesus' day, or maybe not. We don't know. They are, these rituals and practices are in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the main body foundational work of the Talmud. And the Mishnah was starting was started to be written by the rabbis almost immediately after the temple was destroyed. And it's basically all of the laws that were made up by the rabbis outside of the written Torah, outside of the written Bible. It was accomplished or completed in... In 200 AD and so when we're reading the Mishnah we realize it was not written in Jesus's day but there are references to rabbis who lived in Jesus's day and even before so for instance it's similar to this we celebrate Thanksgiving and it's a it's a grave mistake to say all the pilgrims celebrated Thanksgiving no they didn't they didn't call it Thanksgiving they had a celebration at the end of the harvest season to bless God and thank God for his protection and his great provision. But they didn't do Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving comes to its own basically in the 20th century, uh, in the 19th century as well, and it becomes a national holiday here in the United States. So the pilgrims basically started it, and then it it finally uh, attained the name of Thanksgiving as it is today, just like Rosh Hashanah. Now the Jewish people today, they celebrate with many different rituals and practices. Uh, One good source to actually check this out is the the website, Hebrew for Christians, all one word, Hebrew the number four, Christians.com and you can go there and look up Rosh Hashanah and um, John Parsons at Hebrew for Christians will give you a wonderful, uh, scholarly, um, very well written, very researched very well researched background behind how it is celebrated today and all the different rituals and practices one of the things that i learned from the jewish people that really is is i love it uh and that is having apples and honey on rosh hashanah and the apples and honey are to have uh, are to eat some something sweet uh and a a fruit of the fall Uh, because we are at the end of the harvest season here in the United States, and typically apples are going to be part of that fall harvest. So it's part of the fall harvest, and we eat apples and honey. And considering the Jewish people are talking about a a, a new year, all right, they always say, let's remind ourselves that the apples and honey uh, gives us a picture of, may we have a sweet, good new year, like the taste of these apples and honey. I love that so rabbinic judas practices probably were not done in the days of yeshua most of them are made up by the rabbis and there's nothing wrong with it the church has a lot of practices that are made up by men like lenten candles or you might say um, advent candles there's nothing wrong with that it's not in the bible Uh, it has a symbolic meaning Um, There are sermons that are developed about Lenten candles. There are sermons developed about Advent candles and so on. And there's nothing wrong with this. It is what you would say, um, midrash of the Christian church in terms of adding uh, specific things to our practices and our rituals. It's the same thing with the rabbis. Now, we should respect their practices, but you've got to be careful. Don't just do Jewish stuff since it is Jewish with no understanding of why. Let me give you an example. Today, not all religious Jews, but many religious Jews, many Orthodox religious Jews, they do an activity on Yom Turoa, Rosh Hashanah as they call it, that's called Tashlik. And so, Tashlik is this, they recite prayers and they put breadcrumbs in their pockets and they go to a river or a lake or a stream. And as they're reciting the prayers, they're taking the bread and this is all a symbol of casting off your sins, which are carried away by the water. It's based upon this verse. So this was not done in Jesus' day, I can tell you that right now but the rabbis in the middle ages made all of this stuff up and they looked at a verse to justify this practice it's Micah seven eighteen through 20 you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea and may you cast all the sins of your people the house of Israel into a place where they shall be no more remembered or visited or ever come to mind it's not biblical this comes out of eastern Europe from orthodox rabbinic judaism matter of fact in the 16th century rabbi isaiah hurwitz he denounced it as an abomination however a couple of centuries later the great vilna geon another great jewish rabbi he said no so now we have two rabbis who are debating one says yes and another says no now when you study this practice and you go into the pagan culture Of northern Europe prior to perhaps even when the Jews living there it might be based on an ancient pagan ritual that to cast your you might say sins you know and they would be taken up by the demons in the lake or the demons in the stream so it's like Halloween for me and my wife I mean When my kids were growing up, we did not practice Halloween because we knew Halloween had a a lot of pagan foundation. And so it's very similar to this. But how many Christians today, especially Messianic Christians who are now in a Messianic congregation and doing the Sabbath on Saturday, and they're doing the feasts, etc., and they're going to do Tashlik because they're Gentile Messianic, congregation leader only looks upon rabbinic judaism and thinks that anything the rabbis say has got to be true and it's not because all of this stuff on tashlik was made up made up in the middle ages so we avoid anything that may have been demonic and we stay away from it and so for me I had a lot of difficulty when I was in Messianic congregations and I knew this. And I knew that this practice may have been coming out of a pagan culture. So again, there are practices that are done in rabbinic Judaism that if you don't understand it uh, and if you don't grasp where this all comes from, Uh, Don't just do Jewish stuff because it's Jewish stuff. We really need to understand where these things come from. Like an example, the rabbis say it's a two-day feast, but God said it's only one. God said it's just the first day of the seventh month. The rabbis did a two-day feast because they said, well, what if you're in a certain part of the world where you cannot see the new moon? Because again, this is the first day of a lunar month. This is the first day of the new moon. Will you see the new moon? Well, what if it's cloudy? What if you're in the midst of a three, four, five-day rainstorm? You won't know that this is the day, this is the night of the new moon. So they said, let's have a second day. And the rabbis say in the Talmud Talmud that this is just as valid. Now, the Talmud again is the books of the commentary of the rabbis that was completed above 500 A.D. There were other uh, variations of it as it came out all the way to 900 A.D. And in Judaism, the Talmud is on the same level as the Bible. So in Judaism, there are many religious Jews who, when a rabbi says, we're going to celebrate the feast of Rosh Hashanah for two days, and the second day is just as holy, just as sacred as the first day, they agree with this, because it's in the Talmud. And the Talmud is on the same level as the Bible. As a Christian, I do not agree. Matter of fact, if you actually study the history of the Talmud, you'll find out there were many Jews that disagreed with this as well. When you study the Talmud, one of the things that you learn is the rabbis say that the written Bible, the written Torah, was given at Sinai, and the oral Torah was given at Sinai. The oral Torah is the Talmud. It's the Mishnah, and then the additional writings to the Mishnah, which are called the Gemara, and put that all together, and you get the Talmud, and the Talmud is as sacred as the Bible. They consider it's God-inspired. Now me, how do you get away with saying God is wrong? You're basically saying that. God said one day, And the rabbis say, no, sorry, Lord, it's going to be two. It doesn't add up. Now, when we go to Deuteronomy 12, verse 32, or when we go to Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, it's as if God is inspiring Moses to teach us, don't add anything to my word. Don't subtract anything from my word. And yet, this is what's done in the oral Torah. Another thing is, The rabbinic feast, Rosh Hashanah, is considered a Sabbath. But the Bible's precise. It isn't a Sabbath. And I just thank the Lord for Jewish Orthodox, rabbinic Jewish sites who will teach us, no, it's not a Sabbath, but we treat it like one. Because the specific laws of the Shabbat, the specific laws of the Sabbath, are not associated with Rosh Hashanah, except that you're not supposed to do any work that day. So the rabbis could be creating a fence around Torah. Huh. Well, what does that mean? Well, a fence around Torah means, gee whiz, um, God said to do no work on the feast of Yom Teruah, which they call Rosh Hashanah. So I got a good idea. Let's follow all of the laws of Shabbat for Rosh Hashanah. This way, we cannot in any way do anything to degrade the feast. Because if we're doing the Shabbat, and we're doing all the laws of the Shabbat, we are doing over and above what God has demanded and commanded for this moed of Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah. So let's treat it like Shabbat, and we'll be safe in our practice. Now, this is an Orthodox rabbinic view, It's their decision. It's not biblical. However, I have no problem with it, especially like this one Orthodox rabbinic site that stated, no, Rosh Hashanah is not a Sabbath. We treat it like one. And the reason being is, therefore, we're safe in our practice because if we're doing all the laws of Shabbat, we are not going to break any laws, anything that God commanded for Rosh Hashanah so for me i respect it and honor it i know it isn't a sabbath but i definitely know it's god's special time now rosh hashanah is first brought up in the mishnah and i told you that uh, these were the books being written right after the temple was destroyed finally completed in 200 a.d and the rabbi say it's the birthday of the universe <laughs> this is not said in Jesus' day at all and in the mishnah we read about rabbi yossi And in about 160 A.D., in the Mishnah, you can read this, he said that God created the universe in 3760 B.C. It's exactly quoted, right out of the Mishnah. And so, therefore, on Rosh Hashanah, the shofar is blown because that's when God becomes king of the universe. You say, wait a minute, (laughs) I, I don't read this anywhere in the Bible. But this is what Rabbi Yose made up. Matter of fact, when we're looking at it, and this year we're dating this podcast, actually. This is the year 2021. And so Rosh Hashanah is coming up here in a few days. And it will start the new year on the biblical calendar or the Jewish calendar. And it will say 5,782. In other words, according to Rabbi Yose, this September, this Rosh Hashanah, he would say that the world was created by God 5,782 years ago. Because if you take 3760 BC and add 2021 to it, you come up with 5,781 years since creation. Now, it's unbiblical and it's unhistorical. (laughs) Just imagine, there have been Egyptian tombs found dated to 3300 BC. Huh? But Rabbi Yossi said, The world was created, the universe was created in 3760 B.C. But these Egyptian tombs found are dated to 3300 B.C., 400 years after creation? That makes no sense. But that's real archaeology. That's real historical fact. An ancient cemetery was found in Poland. The ancient cemetery is dated to 3500 B.C., You guys, that's almost 40 years before the creation. 40 years before. Rabbi Yossi had a creative imagination, yet the the statement of his has really come down to our day. If you actually take a look at, there's a website called HebCal, H-E-B-C-A-L, one word, HebCal.com, HebrewCalendar.com, and you can get the calendar for today. And so therefore, on next Tuesday, and i don't know what day that's going to be um but rosh hashanah is going to be the first of tishri and the date of the year will be 5782. it's still being used today but it disagrees with archaeology however again what is amazing to me when you put this in its historical context you start studying the great maimonides the great jewish scholar in the middle ages he wrote in his own writings in 1178 A.D., this great Jewish Torah scholar, that in 1178 A.D. was 4,938 years in creation. And so when you take these two numbers and you work with it, you come up to 3,760. So all of a sudden, Maimonides shows that he's agreeing with Yosei. Huh? But few Christians even know this and the fact that these views are unbiblical and not historical and when you actually take a look at real archaeology and real history it just doesn't make any sense so many of the current meanings of Rosh Hashanah are all made up they are figments of man's fertile imagination after the temple was destroyed so for me I always ask, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in the Torah? Where is Jesus in the Hebrew Scriptures? Where is Jesus in the Old Testament? In the two podcast series, The Gospel According to Moses Genesis and The Gospel According to Moses Exodus, there's a couple of podcasts in there where I talk about the major goals of that Torah series. And one major goal is, where is Jesus in the Torah. How, do, how does the Torah testify of him according to John 5.39? Jesus says that all, te- all scripture testifies of me, but he said it when the only Bible they had was the Hebrew scriptures that we call the Old Testament. And the main books were the Torah. So this is where we want to focus. Because again, these feasts are not the Jewish feasts. These are appointed times by God. And he is the God of the universe. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And the question also becomes, and once we see Jesus in these feasts, our question then, how can we as Christians actually participate in perhaps an evening of praise praise and singing and celebration on this feast called Yam Teruah, the day of the blast. So in part three of this series, let's take a look at perhaps some ways Jesus can be seen in this amazing, amazing Moed of Aronai, this appointed time of the Lord, Yam Teruah, that we know as Rosh Hashanah.